Uh, it's a joy to be here. Bom dia is Portuguese for good day, and that makes me feel like I'm back home. Pray for us. We're not sure. Uh, we're, well, we leave September 2nd back to Brazil. Not sure where to live. Haven't sold our home in our other state that we were involved with. Imagine you worked 20-something years in one state, and you're moving to another state, and that's what we're doing. That's what we're in the, tr in the transition to do. At the same time, I have a mother, and Crystal has a mother that are both getting older, and as you get older, pains come on the body and aches, and we're not sure what to do there with some of our older relatives, so we need your prayers and wisdom on that. But the subject is evangelism, and you have it before you, and uh, it's really a huge subject, and we could talk about it for, for months, really. But uh, Pastor Mike, back at Countryside, he always taught us that God has given us three purposes in life. And the overarching purpose, obviously, is be like Christ. We want to be like Christ in our thoughts. We want to be like Christ in our actions and our attitudes and our purpose in life. Whether we're there for you eat or drink, we should do everything to the glory of God. He brings it into three purposes. The first purpose is exalting God. The first E, exalting God. The second E is edifying the brothers, and that's what we're doing this morning. And the last E is evangelism. So if you ever want to know what a church should be about, those are the three things. It's not what we made up, it's what we discovered. It's what the Bible says. Some people maybe bring that out and make it into five different things, but truly if you looked at their five different things, like they say something like worshiping God is one of the things, that's really exalting God. And we can bring it down to those three. And I like that because it keeps it simple, the three E's, exalting, edifying, and evangelizing. There are over 7 billion people in the world. How many of those are unsaved? Well, we really don't know, but it's definitely a great amount, greater amount, right? Because narrow is the gate, is the path to get to heaven, right? And when we talk about evangelism, I want to make it real clear at the outset that, that we do not save anyone. Your responsibility is not to save anyone, Okay? Salvation is the work of God from beginning to end. It is he that authored it. It's he that's offended by our sin and made hell for the angels, the fallen angels, and then eventually for those who, who have not repented and trusted in him. It is he that provided the sacrifice. It is he that died on the cross. It is he that rose again. It is he that has the power to give eternal life. So there's no, not one of us that can do that, right? And that is why salvation is his work. But he is, in his sovereignty, has given us the responsibility to save sinners. He's given us the responsibility of evangelizing, or save sinners, to evangelize sinners. Without the good news of Christ being shared, no one gets saved. No one gets saved. I want you to think about that. Without the good news of Jesus Christ being shared, no one gets saved. Okay? You say, well, they get saved through a, a track that they saw in a bathroom, like one guy I knew. So no one shared with them. Well, someone made that track and left it in the bathroom. <laughs> so you might think, well, what's a track in a bathroom going to do? It saved that guy. You know. So without someone giving that track out, that guy didn't hear the gospel and he did not get saved. So we have that wonderful responsibility of evangelizing. And, uh, and I put it down in... Seven P's, you have it on your paper. Uh, wow. What does your paper say? I got the wrong paper. Let me see your paper. <laughs> okay, I just realized I have a different paper. 
Oh, yeah, good. All right, it's the we need to. All right. <laughs> My other paper says something else. First thing we need to do is we need to pray. So in evangelism, we have responsibilities. I'm going to give us seven responsibilities this morning, and they all start with P to try to help us remember them easy. And they're not, like, once again, it's not from my experience being in Brazil. Uh, it's not my experience of evangelizing. It's really coming from what I discovered in the Word of God that has to be done that we must be about. Now, you think about it. We are going to be judged one day, aren't we? Not about going to heaven if you accepted Jesus as your Savior, but you're going to be judged about what you did with Jesus while on earth. And, uh, and one of the things that God has given us is that great responsibility of evangelism. So if you feel bad about how your evangelism is going, that's good. And you need to make it better. Because someday I'm going to stand before the beam and say, why did Paul say that he's innocent of the blood of all men? Isn't that an amazing statement? I don't know if I can say that statement, but I know this. We need to be about these seven things and the first one is prayer. We need to be about prayer and evangelism. I think I put Acts 2.42 in your, on your uh, paper, and it says they were continually devoting themselves, that was the church, to prayer. Prayer is the lifeline of the Christian. It's the Christian's communication with God. It is such a powerful form of communication, is it not? I mean, you think about our communication today. It's amazing. I'm here in, in the United States, and I talk to people almost daily in Brazil with a little device. I speak into this little device. It's a device that reminds me of sin. It's called Apple, right? It's got a little bite on it. And, uh, and I talk into this little device right here. I could talk to it. And all the way, thousands of miles in a remote area of Brazil, Brazilians can hear me clear as a bell. How does that happen? Isn't that amazing? I mean, I really, I'm always amazed that I'm intrigued. And now we can do, like, uh, take pictures. I can, I can actually live stream you guys right now and show live in Brazil, you know, all you guys listening attentively. I can show them, say, see what people do in America? They, they listen. <laughs> to, and uh, it's just amazing. But I still have not found a better communication device than prayer. Isn't that true? I mean, prayer, you could be praying anywhere. There's a guy that prayed in the weirdest place. I've known no one else has prayed in this place. It was at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea inside a big fish. His name was Jonah. And he prayed, and God heard his prayer. It came into the throne room of the king of kings. And one time, you know, as a missionary, you get to do some weird things in the world. In the world. And one of the weird things I got to do is go to England. And uh, it happened to be my five-year anniversary and the reason I was going to England is because I was trying to get back to the United States, and a Brazilian had moved to England from our church for 100 extra bucks. That was all it cost, $115 more. I could go to the United States via London and our five-year anniversary. But I was a new missionary, and I didn't know what countryside would think at the time because I didn't get paid very much back then. And I didn't want them to think that I was getting paid so much I was going to England on my vacation. So I said, hey, I called countryside. What do you guys think? Can uh, I have this opportunity to speak at a church in England? I have a Brazilian that's there, and it's our five-year anniversary. And the leadership of Countryside said, you'd be stupid not to go. <laughs> so we went to England, and we went to, how many have been to England? Okay. Were you pole vaulting in England? <laughs> and did you go to uh, uh, Hampton Court? No? Okay. Did you go to Hampton Court? Hampton Court is a beautiful uh, it's the, the royal getaway 
I, I want to say it in Portuguese, it's the situ, but anyhow, that doesn't help you any. Um, it's, the, it's the palace to get away from the city, although the city has crept up all the way up to it already. But it was where, there was amazing gardens, an amazing, beautiful place, huge place, and it had hundreds of workers at the time. But it had a, a, a chamber, it's actually a hall, and the hall was about as big as from here to the wall, okay? So this is the hall. <laughs> so imagine a, a hallway, you, I don't know how big your hallway is in your house, but this is how big the king's hallway was. It was about, you know, as long as this room is, and it's wide right here. And he would go from one room to another at a certain time in the morning, and the nobles of the land would write a petition out, and they would bow down, and as he came by, they would lift it up in hopes that the king of England would stop and take their petition that day. You know what? We serve the king of kings. And I don't have to sit and hope that today the king of kings is going to hear me. I mean, we have the communication of prayer to where we know with confidence that our Lord God hears us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're, we have such a powerful device at our hand, and we should never take it for granted. Go to Colossians 4.2 real quick. Colossians 4.2. Somebody read it in a loud voice for us. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Great. Go to verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us the door for the, world, for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. So you see in verse 2, it talks about devoting yourselves to prayer. And it's an imperative. It is something we have to do. It is something that we're commanded to do. And if you look in the context, verse 3, he's saying, praying for us that the door would open for the word. What door is that? Is that the door to get a job? Open the door so I can get a job? No, it's opening the door to evangelize. So where is Paul right now? He's in prison. That's right. I heard someone say it. He's in prison. And he's praying for the door to open. He's not saying, pray for my health and for me to get out of jail and all this. He's saying, pray for the door to open. You know, later as you read the New Testament, you see that the household of Caesar gets evangelized. And I think when Paul, wherever he was at, he always evangelized. I always tell my kids that someday if we teach Jesus and get thrown in jail, it's not a problem. It just means God has people in jail to get saved. <laughs> For us to reach out to and to share the word with, right? And that's Paul's attitude, wherever he was at. And he asked, here he is, the, the Apostle Paul, and he's asking the church to pray for him in relation to evangelism. You want to know what to pray for us on the mission field? Pray that God opens doors. Pray that God gives us, in verse 4, clarity in speech. In verse 5, gives us wisdom on how to, uh, to treat outsiders of the church and to make most of the opportunity. And verse 6, and that our speech will be always gracious and seasoned with salt. I mean, those are great prayer requests to pray for missionaries and to pray for one another. Okay? So our responsibility is to what? Is to pray. You know, it's interesting. The disciples uh, walked with Jesus. And what I, the only thing I can remember, and I could be wrong, but, and you can correct me, is the only thing they have asked Jesus to teach them to do was to what? To pray. Teach them to pray. 
I think Jesus had a really strong prayer life. So we are to pray, pray for one another. We are to pray to, in, in wisdom and dealing with the lost. Uh, Matthew 9, 38 tells us, Jesus says, lift up your eyes of compassion and see the harvest and pray and beseech the Lord for what? You remember that passage, Matthew 9, 38? Yeah, pray for workers to go out and share the good news. I have a girl in Brazil, a Brazilian gal that went to Indonesia, and she said for every six million people, there's one missionary. And she's like, pray for more laborers to be sent forth out into the harvest. She says, her, her burden, watch this girl's burden. She says, my burden for these people is not only the gospel, but that there to be people to pray for these people, <laughs> to pray for them. Because I just don't know of very many people who are praying for these people in Indonesia faithfully. And she is trying to do that and trying to alert the church in Brazil to be more about that. I know of a guy in Brazil, he takes down the names of everyone that he meets, okay? His name is Bill Ma. And he, if he's a businessman and when he meets someone, he writes their name down, he learns about them, and then he prays for them. And when he prays for them, you know what he does? He tries to get a hold of them and let them know, hey, I want you to know, I prayed for you today. What would Americans do if you say that to them? They'd be offended. Have you ever tried it? Have they been offended? Were they offended? It's awkward. <laughs> kind of thankful. I think probably here in Lawrence they get offended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe some, maybe not. In Brazil, because we're a, the largest Catholic country in the world, I have never met a Brazilian that says, don't be prayed for me. I hate that. I've never met that. All the unsaved Brazilians, even they're thankful for the prayer time. And so... Pray, this guy prays for people. Have you written down names of people that you know that are unsaved that need salvation? If God says it's going to depend on you, their salvation, to pray faithfully for them 50 years, would you do it? And that'd be a challenge, wouldn't it? I have to admit, man, sometimes, Pastor Mike just preached a sermon. He said, we always, we always believe that God can save, but we don't always think that he will save. And then when he does, we go, Wow. You know, because he was talking about Peter, and the church was praying earnestly for Peter to get released. And then Peter gets released, and they go, it's his ghost. I mean, <laughs> or it's his angel, right? And they, they're like, wow, that Peter actually got released went there for their prayer request. And, and uh, we, we kind of are like that sometimes as well. So, prayer. We need to pray. Second thing is we need to prepare. We need to prepare. Scott and I did a class out of Clark Summit University, and this is the theme verse. Did you know? I, I don't know if you remember that. Probably do. Uh, their theme verse of the whole course of apologetics is 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. And so we need to prepare. And they say if you want to teach a parrot to talk, you have to have a larger vocabulary than the parrot. <laughs> when there is preparation. But let me just give a note of warning here. Don't let this become the excuse that you don't evangelize. Some people think, I need to have that Billy Graham voice. Or I need to have that Wayne Grudem theology. You know, preparation is helpful. Preparation is needful. 
But however, preparation is not an excuse for being obedient to share the great news of Jesus Christ. A five-year-old boy in northern Kansas City went to VBS. And at VBS, he learned, he learned five verses. Each finger had a verse. Okay? And he came home to tell his unsaved mom, Mommy, 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 let me show you what I learned at VBS. And he said, the pinky represents, for all I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he went through each verse, each finger. And when he got done, you know what happened? The mom got saved. You say, impossible. What? No, where are we? We're at church. It's not impossible. It's God doing it. And what I'm trying to show you is the kid was not a Billy Graham <laughs> voice, and he was not a, a Wayne Groom theologian, but he was prepared to know his five-finger verses about salvation, wasn't he? And so we need to prepare. We need to know how to give a reason for the hope. I, I, I looked at it like this in Scripture, and I felt like it was showing me we need to be prepared in our mind, our attitude, our feet, and our heart. In our mind, our attitude, and our feet, and our heart. Okay, so I need to prepare my mind. Remember that commercial that says the mind is a terrible thing to waste? Do you remember that, you older people? <laughs> yeah, I don't think they do that anymore, but... Uh, the mind is a terrible thing to waste. And that's true in the Christian, too. Romans 12 tells us to renew our mind, right? We are to be sober in our mind. We are to prepare our mind for action. Ephesians 1 tells us about having the knowledge of him. Knowledge. Acts 17.2 says that, P, uh, that Paul went into the synagogue and reasoned. How do you reason? You have to use your you have to use your mind. So our mind needs to be prepared. And that's why you're at Sunday school, right? Sunday school is a great place to prepare our mind. And uh, discipleship one-on-one or one-on-three or however it may be is a great place to prepare our mind. Um, Re-listening to the sermons that were preached is a great way to renew our mind. Uh, books, good books, are good things to help us prepare our mind. We have to prepare our mind uh, for many things. You know, before yesterday was the wedding, right? And before I got married, I tried to read everything I could about, you know, I wanted to be a prepared husband. And I was going to go through scripture and just find all the profound truths to prepare my mind for this new role of mine. And I found out that there's not really like profound truth. It's all profound already. It's, uh, it, it's just pretty basic, you know, but it's really hard to do, isn't it, guys, to love your wife like Christ loved the church. <laughs> but uh, but we, we do. We need to take time to prepare our mind and we do that for certain things you know for our jobs and if we have a certain task we prepare our mind for it we have been tasked with evangelism and we need to always prepare our mind for it and continue to do that until when until there's no more evangelism and when is that when we get to heaven right when we get to heaven <laughs> or when Jesus comes back no one should know the gospel better than the Christian no one should know better than us. And it's weird. The church of Jesus Christ today is confused about the gospel. That should not happen. We should be preparing our mind. And it should be so clear. We need to prepare not only our mind, but our attitude. Did you see what that verse said in 1 Peter 3, 15? What did it say? Someone read that to me again. 1 Peter 3, 15.
gentleness and respect. Man, I was listening to a guy on the radio, and he said, you want to improve your marriage right away? Men, start speaking gentle, gently. And I thought, man, that is so true. Isn't it true, women? Don't you love it when your husbands are gentle? Or do you like that rough guy? Ah, I want my supper. Obviously, no, we don't. (laughs) That would be terrible, wouldn't it? Yeah, but gentle. And it's interesting. What did Jesus say? He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, right? I'm humble. And, And so we need to learn to be gentle. You know, we are never to be arrogant. Why would I be arrogant? I mean, my salvation had nothing to do with me. You know what I mean? So I should never be arrogant. Well, I'm part of the elect, you know. Well, yeah. If you've been chosen by God, you have been chosen not by anything good you did, right? It's all by his goodwill. And so, so my attitude should be always, you know, but the guy was yelling at me, and he was slamming my church, and he was talking bad about Jesus. What am I, what am I expecting an unsaved guy to act like? You know, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know. He doesn't understand, and I need to have compassion and be gentle to them and what is the word reverence some passages say but respect so I need to prepare my attitude my attitude needs to be one of gentleness and respect uh, to the unsaved there was a, a, a guy uh, it was Chuck Swindoll Chuck Swindoll said when he was in uh, starting Bible college he uh, had a job at a night shift and he said he was blowing the guy away philosophically he said the guy had he would come with arguments against Christianity, and he just blew them out of the water. And one day, the guy turned to him and said, hey, listen, Chuck, I'm not accepting Jesus because I can't stand you. And he went, whoa. That was a huge rebuke to him, and he never forgot it, and he shared it on radio with us. So, I mean, just a good reminder to us that, I, you know, people, I've gone, I went to Italy once, and this young missionary was telling me that he was going to do friendship evangelism. You ever heard that expression, friendship evangelism? And, uh, and uh, the idea sometimes behind friendship evangelism is that I'm not going to share Jesus with this person until I'm a really good friend. And I shared with a new missionary, a young missionary, I said, hey, I love your idea of being friendly, but I hate your idea of sharing, waiting to share Jesus. You know, because what if the guy gets hit by a bus the next day or it was something? So here's what, here, let me, let's just throw a twist at it. Here's what you should do. Share Jesus, he rejects you, be the friendliest person ever. Share Jesus, and he rejects you, and you still love on him and care about him. See, that's what I think we need to do. So we need to be prepared in our mind. We need to be prepared in our attitude. We need to be prepared in our feet. Isn't it interesting that it says one of the armors of the Christian covers the feet? And what is that armor? The gospel of a peace. Yeah, it's part of the armor. You know what it says in Romans 10? It says that no one gets saved without hearing the gospel, but no one. And then it says, how beautiful are the feet of them. I knew a person that hated their feet. Girls, do you like your feet? Do you think your feet's ugly? Sometimes girls do that, don't they? They look at their feet and go, oh, I have ugly feet. I don't want to show up my feet, you know. But if you're sharing the gospel, I don't care if your toes are bigger than this and that like that and going this way or that. You have beautiful feet biblically. <laughs> If you're sharing the good news, you have beautiful feet. And that's the idea of what? It's the idea of getting to the place you need to get to to share the word of God, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So our feet need to be prepared. And then I put, at last, our heart. Why? 
Because 2 Corinthians 5.14 says that we should be motivated by love in our heart. We should love the Lord God with all our what? All our heart. And, uh, and, and he says if you give your body to the flames but without love, it was what? It's nothing. So the reason I'm evangelizing is because I love Jesus. <laughs> See? And if I love Jesus, I'm so filled with him, loving him, I'll love the other. Isn't that what 1 John says? How do I know that I love the brother? If, how do I know? When I obey Jesus. When I'm loving God. That's how I know I'm loving you. And, uh, and here's the other thing you need to prepare your heart. John 15, 18 through 19 says, Jesus said it. He says, prepare to be rejected. Be prepared to be rejected. Because if you are out sharing the gospel, who accepts it? You know, in Brazil, I get to share all the good stories, you know, of all the people who accepted a Bible study and all the people who have accepted Jesus as their Savior. But, I, you know, I could write a lot more letters of, <laughs> of what's going on of all those who reject, because there's a lot of rejection. Or you do an outreach and it just not too many people came or... You know, people in the church weren't involved with evangelism. or There's just a lot of rejection that I could write about. And I'm sure when Michael goes to Turkey, he'll share the gospel. And I'm sure he can share a lot more of the rejection than the acceptance. But man, it makes the acceptance when it happens so exciting. And it wows us. And, which probably shouldn't, but it does. Anyhow, so we need to be prepared. Uh, we need to be praying and we need to be prepared, right? We need to prepare to share the good news of Jesus. And then our third thing is obviously we need to proclaim. We need to proclaim. Romans 1.15 says, I am eager to preach the gospel. Without the gospel being shared, no one gets saved. Listen to this. I don't want you to ever say this. We don't do the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. I did not die on the cross, and I did not rise again. I could not take sin and blot it away. The good news is Jesus. It's not me. Does that make sense? Because there's sometimes that once in a while you'll see a church saying, we're doing the gospel. And I'm like, I kind of understand what they're saying, but they're confusing it. And we don't do that. And so we are to proclaim we are to make Jesus known. Mark 16 tells us that. Get the gospel out. Paul in Romans. What does Romans 1.16 say? You guys remember? For I am not ashamed of the what? Of the gospel of Christ. For it is what? The power of God. I love this one evangelist who said, every time you share the gospel, you unleash the supernatural power of God. It's kind of, you know, I don't want to get mystical. You know, but it's kind of true, isn't it? When, they, when you hear the good news how Jesus died and rose again for, you know, to save sinners, wow! Somehow that messes with people. Had someone at Countryside just tell me they had an opportunity to share with their brother. You know what happened when the, they shared the good news of Jesus? The brother said, stop it. I don't want to hear anymore. What was happening? Conviction. Boom! Right into the heart with truth. Someone says, I don't believe it. I don't care if you don't believe it. It's truth. And you're going to have to deal with it. Right? Well, you know, everybody has their philosophies and reasons why it's not true. We need to just keep teaching it because it is true. You know, people are like, we're in a postmodern world today. How are we going to deal with these people? Well, interesting. Paul dealt with some pretty interesting people. 
they were on a place that was kind of foreign to earth. It was called Mars Hill. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a pretty good joke that I made up on the spot. <laughs> and, uh, and so Mars Hill, and you remember what Mars Hill was about? I mean, these guys were the Greeks who got together and wanted to talk about every philosophy, every thought there could be. And what did Paul do? Well, he's well prepared. And he used his mind, and he tried to be sensitive to them. But he, even though he knew that they were animate against what? Do you remember? The resurrection. But he knew, I have to give that to him. Because it's the power of God to salvation. And some got saved, Acts 17 says. Listen, I had an old professor. He's now with the Lord, uh, Dr. Rafer. He's passed away about three weeks ago. And he said this. He said, in evangelism, when we're proclaiming, there's two types of ways of proclaiming. And he named it this way. And I thought it was kind of a good way to remember. He said there's confrontational evangelism, confrontational and informative confrontational, he said, is when you don't know if you're ever going to have a chance with this person again. And so you want to try, to, you always want to try to get as much in as you can. But sometimes, you know, there's times when it's, you can just give a nugget of truth of information. And so confrontation was doing that. It's kind of like I was on the airplane, I was on an airplane and this guy sitting right by me in Brazil was reading in English, The Origin of Species. So I spoke in English with him, and I said, hey, do you like what you're reading? He says, I love it. He was the director of the Federal University in Fortaleza. And I said, have you ever heard of uh, creationism? He says, no. I said, well, we've got some great guys that could come in your school and teach creationism for you and show you an alternative view of, of genuine science, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and all that. And, uh, and he said, he looked at me and said, no way. So I felt like, well, he felt pretty strong and aggressive to say that to me. And since we're at 36,000 feet and he can't really get away from me, I thought I would just go ahead and be strong and confrontational to him. And so in a gentle, loving way, I said to him, well, if, uh, if you were ever to come before God and say that you've never heard the gospel, which you'll, you can't really do, but I'm going to take that away from you right now. And I'm going to give you the gospel and when you stand before the creator, he is going to remind you of me. That I shared with you the good news and you rejected it and will burn in eternal hell forever. Have a great flight. <laughs> yeah. That's called confrontational evangelism. And, and I'm not trying to do it to be mean. I was just trying to, I was just trying to give him the reality check. You know, like, and I, I shared with him, like a doctor sees something inside you and he can cure it resolve it and he doesn't he's a bad doctor and that's what we are we're the doctors and we have the antidote and it's the gospel and if I don't get it out I'm a bad doctor and so that is confrontational informative is is just giving sometimes we don't we don't have time to share the whole good the whole gospel story and we have time to just share one little note or we just want to that we just feel proud to share one little thing about God with someone. Let me give an illustration. I don't know if J.D. remembers this because he was a little kid back then. But we had an evangelist that came through Countryside one time, and he shared this story. And I'll see if you guys remember this. You're, were you even born? You probably weren't even born yet. Anyhow. <laughs> and uh, he, these, the people in the church were burdened to evangelize. Okay, we have to evangelize. have to share something. And the guy's going out to his car, and his neighbor's going out to the car, and he says, I never share anything with my neighbor about God. He says, 
hey, neighbor, God loves you. And he got in his car. I shared something. (laughs) All right? And it is. It is a little bit informative truth. That's pretty neat. Well, another member of the church was saying, I need to call a relative of mine. I'm so burdened for my relative. It's unsaved, and I haven't shared the gospel. And so the relative calls up and talks, 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 and at the end says, hey, just wanted to let you know that God loves you and hunt up. Well, the third member in the church went to get a haircut. And as he's getting a haircut, he's burdened for the person cutting his hair and said, man, I got to tear. <laughs> but I'm so nervous and scared. I've never done this before. It's kind of fear- fearful. He says, hey, Barbie, I just want to let you know that God loves you. And that guy swung that guy around and said, you're the third person today. Tell me about that. Isn't that something? And just a little nugget truth. Sometimes we are afraid to share, but just throw a nugget truth out. Sometimes we only have time to share an important thing. Sometimes we have to give a reason for a certain philosophical question. Uh, I don't know how it is, but we always have the goal of wanting to share the whole gospel because that is the power of God into salvation. So there's confrontation and there's informative evangelism. One way of the, help the unsaved know more about Jesus is to do a Bible study. Have you ever proclaimed the word by doing a Bible study with someone? How many of you have asked, don't show me your hands, but just in your heart, how many have asked someone to do a Bible study? You know, that is probably, the primary means of evangelism is the word of God. The primary means of evangelism is the word of God. And, and it's amazing to me how many times we don't ask someone to do a Bible study. John was written, John 20, 31, so that people could know Jesus and trust in Jesus as the true Messiah. And that's what that book's about. So guess what? Uh, we should try to get others into a Bible study about the book of John. Why? Because it's the book that was written to help people to know the Savior. You know, I don't want to open up Son of Solomon, as good as it is, you know. But John was written for that purpose, you know what I mean? You guys can read Son of Solomon. Yeah, you guys got me. Yeah. But not for an outreach evangelism, right? And so we, uh, in Brazil, it's amazing to me, and I'm wild, and I probably shouldn't be, but I still am wild, and I have to confess that. I'll come up, and I'll say, we have this awesome study in the book of John. It's about the words of Jesus. Don't take my word for it about eternal life. I want you to take God's word about it, and I want to reveal that to you. And it's no pressure. We do one study, and after one study, if you don't like it, you don't have to do any more because I'm not here to pressure anyone, right? I mean, we don't do the pressure. Who does the pressure? The Holy Spirit. That's right. So I don't tell them that. But, uh, you know, I, say, I don't pressure anyone. And, uh, and so then I offer the study, and then the person says, yes. And I go, really? Oh, I mean, yeah, great. You know, I'm, I'm amazed. But I might ask about 11 Brazilians, and they'll all reject me, but the 12th one might say yes. And then you know what the Brazilian does? Here's the Brazilian culture. Brazilian says, okay, I'm going to have a Bible study with you. Great. So we set it up at his house, 6 o'clock. I get to his house. You know who's there? Him, his wife, his kids, his cousins, his uncle, his aunt. Yeah. I've walked in and went, man, I was prepared for one person. I've got 15 people. This is awesome. Right? And I mean, that's just how, that's how it is in Brazil. I don't know how it is in America, um, but I do know this. After sharing this with Countryside, I had two people come up to me about a couple weeks later and said, I want you to know, Pastor Roger, I'm doing a Bible study with an unsaved person, and I never thought to ever ask. It just never came in my mind. I don't know why. 
So I praise the Lord for that. So you'll be in awe. And once you do it, it's the it's most awesome thing, isn't it? It's so fun to be able to open the book of John. And you may feel like you're not ready to do that. And that's where you, you need to prepare. And you can talk to Pastor J.D. And he'll help prepare you and show you how to do that. So we need to proclaim. The results are who, who's in charge of the results. Go to 1 Corinthians 3, 7. Oh, man, we have to finish. Oh, man, I forgot. I was thinking 1030. It's 1015. All right, well, first, uh, let me tell you, 1 Corinthians 3, 7. The, re- the growth is God does the growth. Man doesn't do any of it. And, you know, whoever sows and, and whoever waters is nothing. It's all to the glory of God. But, boy, we don't think that way. If you ask me to come preach at your church and no one gets saved, then you ask J.D. to preach at your church and no one gets saved, and then you ask, you know, Jonathan to preach at your church and 20 people get saved, who will you ask to come back for an evangelistic outreach? It'll be Jonathan. But the Bible says it has nothing to do with Jonathan, J.D., or Roger. It's all about God. See? And uh, we need to remember that. And that should take pressure off us. That should take pressure. I'm so glad it's about God and not me. And it takes that pressure off of me. We need to be purposeful. We need to be purposeful, and we're going to try to do this really fast. What does that mean to be purposeful? Um, I need to, someone said to me, Pastor, I, I get together with my friend, and I'm not sure how to share Jesus. I said, here's how you do it. You are, your whole purpose of your meeting with your friend is to share Jesus. And so when you sit down and you get the appetizer, you say, the reason I asked you out is because I want to share with you the greatest news, and it's about Jesus Christ. There you go. Done. We're to be purposeful. That's what Matthew says. Make disciples of all nations. We're to be about proclaiming the the gospel of Christ. We need to be purposeful about it. Um, We need to be perceptive. (laughs) We're jumping a lot of material, but that's okay. Uh, We need to be perceptive. Listen, when Paul preached to the Jews, he reasoned with them with the scriptures, the Old Testament. When Paul came to Mars Hill, he recognized philosophy. He recognized uh, things in their city. And he was... He recognized, I need to start with creation with these guys. And so that's what he did. So he perceived where they were at. Never assume that people understand your Christian terminology. When you say, if you're to die today, would God allow you to go into heaven? You're assuming a lot of things there. You're assuming that people think they're going to die. You're assuming that they believe in God. And you're assuming that that, uh, there's a heaven afterwards, right? Don't assume those things. You need to ask. One time I was on a, on a plane, and I was by a Catholic priest, and I said, how do, I'm going to the largest Catholic country in the world, and I said, how do you, how do you get saved in, in Catholic religion? Tell me. And the Catholic priest said, you've got to receive Jesus. And I, should, I could have walked right back to my, uh, to my seat and said to Crystal, hey, Catholics are saved. He said, receive Jesus, right? Isn't that the right answer, John 1? But I knew that his word receive meant something different, and I knew his Jesus meant something different. So I pushed him, and I, and I figured it out, and I had him actually say that it was different. See what I'm saying? So we need to perceive, and we need to perceive that the unsaved world are unsaved. They're blinded by Satan, right? They're guided by Satan. They're clouded. Their minds are, are they're blinded. They, uh, they have a heart that has nothing to do with God. What does Romans 3 say? Everyone is under sin, and there's no one that wants God. No one desires God. So listen to this. You know what that does for me? When an unsaved person cusses around me, it doesn't faze me. Yeah, it fazes me because we don't like sin. But it doesn't phase me in the sense of like, that's very offensive, you know. An unsafe person who doesn't know God cussing, you shouldn't be doing that. No. I expect it. I expect the unsafe person to act unsafe. Actually, I don't like it when the unsafe person knows I'm a pastor. Because then they try to act what? 
all Christian-like. I got some great stories about that, but I don't have time. Man, man, great story about that. Let me see if something else really important here. You need to understand the culture of your hearer and, uh, and what's influencing them so that you can better define the vocabulary. Well, the last two are just basically we need to be about providing evangelism and praising the Lord. Providing in the sense is that it's monetary, um, that we should be given our monies. Philippians 4 talks about that. Acts 13, when they got on the ship, Antioch had obviously given them money so they could do it. Um, but it's just not only giving money. Sometimes we need to help with transportation. Sometimes we need to help with hospitality. You know, hospitality is becoming a lost art in America. And, uh, and it shouldn't be. For us as Christians, we should be hospitable. And everything needs to be to the praise and glory of God, even our evangelism. Evangelism is the work of the Christian. It's not the work of the angels at this moment. In, the, in tribulation times, four angels will be sent out to spread the gospel to all corners of the earth. But right now, no. And uh, it's our responsibility. God has given it to us. It's a great privilege. And we need to be a part of that. I hope that's helpful. Um, yeah, we are done. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for evangelism. Thank you for the opportunity to share you with the world. Um, we're not going to do that in heaven. There is no evangelism in heaven. Uh, there's edification, there's the exaltation, but evangelism is only at this moment on earth. So help us to do it well. Help us to pray about it more. Help us to see the sphere of influences that you've given to us and to write people's names down, to remember to pray for them and to call them and to share you, proclaim you. If we're not well prepared, help us to get prepared in our mind, our heart, our attitudes and action. And Lord, uh, help us to be perceptive of where people are at and what terms they use and how they define things. Help us be purposeful in life, of making disciples of all nations, proclaiming you. And uh, may we be clear about the good news of how you died and rose again, and only you can give eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.